Welcome back to Living More of a Life, the podcast. I'm your host, Jane Tarrant, and today I've got with me Matt Butcher. He is the person who made the music for this podcast. In today's episode, we discuss how excess money or our perception of money and how we value what we spend it on can get in the way of living more of a life. Finding enjoyment from creating or giving new life to something else can be incredibly rewarding. So I'm an electronics engineer and a sound engineer and a sort of musician. A father of two, following a very interesting career, we have a lot in common. We met due to Facebook Marketplace and after communicating with his wife, I walked into their kitchen where he was feeding his son and I just went, I love your reclaimed kitchen. And that was it. And our kitchen is made of the old 1980 or late 70s kitchen that has been kind of recycled or refurbed with bits of pallet wood and bits of leftover uh, oddments of wood and skip jack. From when we, we renovated the house or extended the house and basically we, we, we ran out of money after doing the building work and came to need a kitchen and so we put back the old kitchen with additional bits of wood to hold it together basically everyone tried to persuade us to just throw it out and you know put a proper kitchen in but for some reason i thought it might be worth saving for use in a utility room or a workshop and then when it came to it nine months down the line and we were completely flat out for cash and it had been sitting in a, a dusty barn it seemed like quite a good option to just one day kind of hose it down and cleaned it up and then just repositioned it in the space that was the kitchen and it just bolted it together, screwed it together, put some, you know, uh, any old bits of wood to hold it together and, and uh, fabricated some nice wooden ends out of um, uh, pallet wood. It does um, look a lot better than you're suggesting by your description of it, by the way. Yeah, but that's uh, the beauty. It's made of all these odds and ends, but it doesn't look like that. I'd been in a, some restaurant in Amsterdam that had a lot of pallet wood um, facings and it looks quite quite neat and sort of trendy and so I figured it's one of those things where I think we had 52 pallets lying around the garden from the building work and so you know it it seemed to make sense to to use them as as part of the house you know I do like uh, reclaimed wood is always a a, a good resource and it's not just reclaimed wood that you're a sucker for is it (laughs) no reclaimed just about anything uh, bicycles, musical instruments, vintage hi-fi, not so vintage hi-fi. Yeah, what was the weirdest just, one? You, didn't you get some form of organ or something recently? Oh, the Maestrox. No, that I'm fixing that for a friend actually. That's a um, so I'm an electronics engineer and a sound engineer and a sort of musician. And so I, I, I renovate. I, I enjoy fixing and renovating old things like valve amplifiers and this particular thing is a it's called a Meistervox. it dates from the 50s and it's a early valve organ-like thing but it's now fully working my dad was very much an engineer and would always um nothing was unfixable basically so from cars to woodwork to electronics he was an electronics engineer so um, I learned a lot of uh, things things from him. And my mum as well was very practical, you know, sewing and, um, yeah, I don't understand, to, to, to sort of, uh, you know, we were always, fi- everything would always be fixed. You know, there was no money, so everything had to be fixed, I suppose. So yeah. uh, you learn those skills from the hard way, I suppose. And then it was always very exciting. I, 
finding old equipment when i was when i've got into electronics when i was in my teenage years and um you know we, we didn't really have any money my dad taught me how to make uh valve guitar amps basically and so there was a, this is in the 70s so there was there's often quite a lot of valve radios and valve hi-fi amps in skips or down at the dump and we used to pick them up and you know make things out of them make guitar amplifiers and things like that so I, you know always very excited to see what wonderful jewels and gems you can find people throwing away one of the things we've definitely got in common is finding bits and pieces that other people don't want and giving them a new life absolutely i mean you sent me that wonderful picture of that table you rescued i think because um i think i just sent you a picture of some oak cupboard doors that i'd salvaged from well, i picked them up from the side of the road where someone had dumped them and they've been kind of rebuilt into a sort of uh, a temporary chicken accommodation <laughs> you know <laughs> I know. Well, it's just like, you know, the thing is, my daughter's now got the bug as well. So whenever she, she sees, you know, things, she's like, Dad, you should go and pick it up. And I'm like, well, we've got, you know, unless we're short of wood, why do we need any more? Well, we can make something out of it. And, you um, see, I you struggle. Know. If I see anything that is of decent enough quality, whether I need it or not, I struggle to leave it in a skip yeah. or near a skip or wherever it is. If I know it's going to be thrown away, I will always go and knock on the door and be like, oh, do you mind if I take that? And I ended up with a load of doors, which, you know, nearly finished my marriage. Oh, yeah. But, <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah, I, he's I very understanding of my need to not let things go in the bin. <laughs> Where does that come from with you? Where does that, that instinct to just want to repurpose things? Gosh, I really don't know. Um, I guess my, my grandpa has never really thrown anything away and pretty much everything has been held together by elastic bands or sellotape or glue um right down to crockery or you oh, know yeah. books whatever uh, whatever that is is falling apart and my granny was very creative so I did a lot of uh sewing or painting or bits and pieces with her and then I guess when I was little my parents made me a Wendy house out of pallets one weekend um and from scratch and so I guess yeah. I saw th- I saw them do that but never really recognized the importance of it but maybe it was something like that that kind of started to trigger that you don't just go and buy a Wendy house you make a Wendy house and it, and it had such such epic memories of me watching them make it for me and also mm. and also I guess when you're going in it you have so much more of an appreciation for it because you know how hard somebody's worked um and and where it came from and that it wouldn't have otherwise been yours um I guess yeah without the money spent on it it um it it created that and then just over the years I've just uh loved upcycling things so furniture that was in the in the house because we we've been renovating a house for the last six and a bit years and finding furniture that I could paint um, and take you know an old unwanted cupboard for like 50 quid that if it was in the right color in that shape and that quality it'd be like 800 pounds brand new but because yeah. it was sort of a bit dark and dingy but beautifully carved I yeah, could pick it up yeah. for 50 quid do a proper like paint and distress work thing on it wax it up beautifully and it looks stunning and you just yeah. think well it's just a little bit of effort um, and you can have something that someone didn't even value at all uh, to become something that's nicer than what you can buy in the shops in my opinion and it's, and it's, com- and it's completely unique isn't it that's the other thing it's 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 that you know hands hand fettles you know um it, it, it marks your character doesn't it Exactly. And I guess doing the house, you know, we stretched the top of our budget when we bought it. So we needed to 
make it a home but without actually having the money to do so and lack of money forces you to get creative so you know where we had a a door that I hated it was like a PVC door with a glass top and a glass bottom and I had a PVC strip between the two and one we needed a cat flap in it and two I just hated it so much I said we've got to change that door and my husband said no we can't afford to change the door you're just gonna have to put up with it so then he tried to go through the glass to put a cat flap in which one pane worked but the second pane didn't so much um and so uh I was like well we can't just live with one pane of glass and I was like right this is my excuse and I just took it outside took the whole door out it would be in a a smoker's house the top of the door was covered in sawdusty type looking nastiness but it wasn't actually sawdust it was it was tar and then cleaned the whole thing down ripped out the glass and the and the rubber surrounds and then I used some old oak floorboards that I got out of a skip that I'd asked somebody permission for and I sanded those down and they were beautiful so I tongue and grooved those together and then sealed it in with a little bit of trim painted up all the pvc with some annie sloan chalk paint and this thing looks so nice and it's just got this beautiful oiled oak um in where the glass was and it's so much nicer than a door we would have bought so there we go for 12 pounds i did that <laughs> just for a bit of trim <laughs> yeah fantastic fantastic well when we, 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 when we did the work on the house here we i saved all the old i think they're sycamore floorboards um and they're up again a storage barn we have and they're sitting there they, they took they sat outside for a while and got rather damp so i've i've dried them and flattened them and they're now going to be reused as there's a, a, a section of the house that was supposed to be a glass walkway again we, it was it was a kind of fancy idea that we could never afford and it's now going to be a reclaimed sycamore floorboards walkway okay. and so the, in the new part of the house will be um quite funky and uh, new with all flat walls and interesting shapes and then this hopefully reclaimed sycamore floorboards reclaimed from my skip <laughs> basically so it's not quite so not quite so special but um but still really cool be, yeah with 150 year old wood or whatever i mean it's it's nothing to be sniffed at is it um i did actually go into Maisie's school and request of her year four teacher and i went in and did a sort of it was supposed to be an hour lecture but it turned into about a two-hour ramble on um <laughs> on uh, electronics and sound and how these things work i mean from microphone to speaker was kind of the journey of sound um and i took a microphone a guitar my oscilloscope a guitar amp and some little speakers and did things like you know got the kids singing and showing them the waveform on the oscilloscope or demonstrating the doppler effects like a police car going past by getting a speaker putting a tone through it a and spinning it around my head so going which of course was great because it was like the this is a bit dangerous so children please stand back while i swing this speaker around my head you know, <laughs> so it's slightly dangerous and slightly more interesting through that and they all loved it and by the end of it i think everyone wants to be sound engineers and then five minutes later they just want to go and play but uh, you know it's trying to keep <laughs> it's trying to keep things fun and interesting so so what is a sound engineer Ooh, that's quite a good question um, in a nutshell i mean my my actual job as a professional supposedly is uh mixing live music mixing live bands in concert performances i suppose so give me um, an example of the type of bands you work with i work with i've worked with blur and pulp in the 90s but i suppose with my my big break um i i started i, I started in 1988 did various tours with local bands i must have been probably 1988 or 89 working for a sound company in london um 
Entech Sound and Light, and you know, started as a tea boy, and because I could fix things, and I had some idea about music, I could you know make tea, fix things, and generally go and um, you know, I was quite helpful. And uh, in 1988 and no, in 1989, there was a lot of outdoor raves going on, and so Entech had a big old you know, 19, late 70s, early 80s, sort of a big old PA system. And so we started doing these illegal raves. Obviously, I think they were getting paid quite a lot of cash for this. And so it sort of developed through the summer to the point of having um, curtain-side articulated trucks with curtain-side trailers and would stack the, the, the speakers on that and ratchet strap them down and then drive around the M25. I mean, it was before, pretty much before mobile phones. There'd be one person with a mobile phone. We'd drive around until there would be an assigned field. We'd drive into this field, park the trucks out there and plug in power. You know, there'd be a generator, plug the power in, then there'd be another another flatbed trailer as a stage. DJs would be on there and bang, 50,000 people all night. There goes a party. So that went on. That was pretty interesting in 1989, I think that was. And then finally, I think we were are all arrested and the gear was impounded um somewhere near it yeah uh, i mean obviously the scene was getting a little bit uh interesting by that point anyway um i think there's a lot of uh, cash changing hands um but we were we were asked to leave the bus and arrested for suspected criminal damage which would have been um cutting the lock on the aircraft hangar was the what we were actually being taken in for though obviously none of us had anything to do with it and there's no charges or anything after that um and that was the end of that but it was a fantastic it was a very interesting time in music i mean i I came from a sort of punk rock background and then all of a sudden this dance music revolution came along and there was a great sort of social um uplifting social thing amongst the, the the young kids i suppose it was a you know, second summer of love, wasn't it? 1989. A tremendous. I don't know. Actually, I was one. <laughs> <laughs> I might be showing my age here. Hold on. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It was. It was. It was pretty interesting times. You know, uh, there felt like a new political air or a new social, um, you know, movement going on. And from there, again, I was still working with bands and touring with bands. Uh, and then I started. I, I was kind of put into the Marquee Club in Charing Cross Road as a kind of like. Um, Again, someone who could go and tidy the place up and I was young and keen or young and enthusiastic. It was very exciting. It was very exciting to be, you know, there were some amazing bands coming through at the time. Amazing bands. And that's where I met my dear friend Dave Byers, who was doing lights there at one of the points. And um, he put me onto Blurb and he, he, he reckoned that I would fit in well working with them i knew the first two records i'd made leisure and modern life is rubbish editing the story slightly but came on to work with them and luckily it was luckily it was just at the point where they were they released the, the album part life and became quite big and it so also, that was your all big my, break it was my mm. big break it all sorted into place very conveniently really so uh, life has obviously changed a lot since then um you were in your 20s back then is that right yeah i think i was 26 24 and you're now you're now a dad yes yeah, dad of two you go away quite a lot for work because you're still a sound engineer yeah i generally spend a lot of my time away uh traveling the, this would usually be the busy season i would be off doing festivals or touring at this point of the year obviously i haven't actually been anywhere since the beginning of march now so i just want to try and do other projects um but yes i'm still touring touring is my major major part of my income i suppose 
though I'm, you know, fixing, repairing things, trying to write some music and have other creative output. So for you, what is it that you love doing in life? What is it that, that for you means that you're living more of a life? Well, that's interesting. The things that make me happy are I, I love I love music. I love playing music, listening to music. I love the, the vibe of a live concert is is probably you know one of the high points i think the coming together of people and the immersive see i figure there's a, a, an effect at a certain um a certain volume a certain sound level where and it's around 100 db whatever something uh, where you go to a gig and it's not too loud it's just that thing where you can kind of sing at the top of your voice and you're not worried about the person next to you hearing you it's that thing where you, you become immersed in sound and i think that is that that it's a very sort of primeval effect. You, you become part of it and you're, you're, you're enveloped in it. It washes over you. It affects you. It becomes, you know, it's like a spirit within you. So that's, 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 that's really what I'm trying to achieve. And you can, and I say, playing music, playing in bands, I used to love. I've been in the band for a while, but that, that concentrating and writing a song, working it out and being able to actually perform it <laughs> is, is, is quite, a, it's quite an achievement. Absolutely. Um, uh, and I, I, I say bringing uh, old equipment back to life is another thing I, I think is very interesting. I just, actually, I just, as for um, talking about skipjacking, um, we used to live in Acton and we knew that one of our neighbours, this elderly gentleman, had, had passed, I think, earlier in the year. He was a lovely chap we used to see every day. He passed earlier in the year. But I guess he lived in a council house and they they were clearing his house. And it turns out he was a complete hi-fi buff. And so they were clearing his house by just literally throwing out all his beloved hi-fi out onto the street. So I got a call from our friend Mark to say, you know, this is, you, you might be interested in some of this stuff. It seems tragic that it's just being like thrown out in the street. And we're trying to raise money for um, a headstone for him. He died with no family. So basically, I drove down and filled the car full of all this vintage equipment that most of it's been had the, the, the cables cut off it. But a lot of it is quite valuable 60s and 70s high end hi-fi wow. so i've been trying to put this back together and see how much of it i can reassemble or fix with view to selling it to put the money towards a headstone for it that's, so that's nice. you know for several things it's, it's it's nice to you know feel i'm doing something for pip it's nice to think of this equipment not being wasted and i quite enjoy let's see what happens when i plug it in and see how much of it's functioning or see if any smoke comes out of the back obviously i have to take care with these things um but doing something yourself, it gives you a lot of a lot of um, yeah. pleasure and um, you value it. Yes, yes. It's something quite strange in me that enjoys these things. I, I, yeah. And you, you've recently just written and produced the theme tune for uh, for this particular podcast, Living More of a Life. Yeah. So talk, yeah, me, was... talk me through the creation of that. OK, yeah. Um, well, at the beginning of the lockdown, you know, I was spending quite a lot of time out in the garden playing a bit of guitar, you know, taking care of the dogs and the kids and the chickens or whatever. Well, I don't think we had chickens. Then. And then after we'd spoken, you said you were going to do the podcast. I thought, well, I, you know, knowing what you're like, I think, or having a general idea of what I think you, we, we share, that something organic and sort of like, you know, slightly folky, but sort of upbeat. Um, so I had a, a couple of ideas, I think. There was one idea that, I, that was maybe a little bit, uh, I don't know, I, th- I think there were three ideas, wasn't there? Or, or there, there was, was one of it sci-fi they... and I was like, sure about the sci-fi <laughs> but I really like this one and it and then we developed it I remember saying yeah. to you there was one of the ones with, with um wind instruments no brass oh, yeah. 
And I was just like, oh my God, you need to take the brass instrument out. Because ever since I had a sick room at school where they had the brass lessons, like literally across the corridor, I was just so out of love with brass instruments. Because when you're lying there feeling really rotten and you want to sleep because you're ill, the last thing you want to hear is a brass instrument being played by a beginner. Yeah. Uh, yeah absolutely absolutely i mean there's yeah, a few things worse there are a few things worse well, i'm not going to name them but <laughs> um yeah i can understand it was, it was good when you said that i was like oh okay yeah okay the brass is gone and then i, mean, I think we changed, changed key didn't we? we made it slightly lighter or something i was like I'm, it sounds really good except for i have to listen to this hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times while i'm editing so if we could make it something i can stand that would be really nice yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i remember uh as a kid um we did uh, we, I can't remember who it was. I think it was a local Riding for the Disabled. We had a, um, a float in the local carnival. My mum was involved in the Riding for the Disabled. And then we, we, we put a sound system onto this um, float for the, the carnival. And, um, you know, we just got all these old TV speakers or something that we, again, you know, stripped from old TVs at the dump or whatever. Um, and then we did the whole, like, two-hour carnival with a tape loop of a song called The Ugly Bug Ball. You know, let's come along to the ugly book ball. I can't remember how it goes now, but I remember by the end of two hours, just that one thing, and it gets so madly into your head, and you, you know the earworm effects, and it's stuck there for months, and when you know, and you can't escape it. So hopefully, you won't have that same effect with the little ditty guitar pick theme or whatever. Yeah, no, I've I've really enjoyed it so far, and I've had some very good feedback on the music, um, and I think the fact you've done a little central bit for me and the ending bit for me just makes it that little bit more professional. Oh, that's good. That's good. Well, I think you know, it's, again, it's I, I produce a lot of music, and it's trying to find a channel for it. I mean, I go from like hardcore punk rock to the sci-fi electronica stuff to um, you know, the easiest thing for me at the moment is sitting around with an acoustic guitar just twiddling out little folk ditties so it, it and it felt kind of right for our sort of organic upcycling lifestyle actually one of the things i did for you was on this this old tatty recycled upcycled guitar but that was one of the ones that got turned down because it was a bit manky sounding and a bit terrible tuning <laughs> but a bit too much character a bit too much upcycling for for commercial purposes i love it i love it so so you're now in the position where i'm assuming you're thinking well my normal life is not quite as I know it. Touring is not happening. You've got mm. all these other capabilities. And it's quite interesting because so many of us have these talents and yet we're not able to share them or financially benefit from them because we haven't got an avenue or we've not had the confidence or we've not really thought about it before. Do you find that you're now in a position where you're thinking, hey, I can actually be doing more of what I love Um alongside what I did do we know obviously the gigs are going to come back but at the moment they're not really quite the same um do you find that you're kind of in this excited phase where you you're you're feeling like you can do anything now um or are you feeling a little overwhelmed by it well I would have you know dreamed of having this much time at home to work on my own material I've you know um the uh, it's, it's just having the kids at home has made it difficult to find time to do anything. Basically, the, the childcare aspect with no school or the homeschooling thing has made it slightly difficult to find time to really um, make the most of this time at home. But I am, I mean, the fact I have been writing more music in the last couple of months and producing stuff, something for you, for example, and then I, I, I have some meetings with a, another uh, film um, sort of visual producer chap tomorrow. And again, I'm, I'm going to pitch some he, some music to him. So I am enjoying the fact that I'm 
trying to do I, I am expanding i'm trying to expand into some different avenues and with the electronics and the fixing stuff um fixing and repairing and servicing vintage equipment it's just a question of making the connections with the people that need it done basically so i am yeah i'm hoping to uh expand my my world from just being a touring sound engineer because i am uh, you know i'm getting quite old to be spending all my time away touring and i you know i love being at home with the family basically so it's always been a difficult um uh, a difficult part of my life the fact that yeah when i was when i was 25 or whatever touring the world was amazing just you know, we just had one amazing sort of like universal party or whatever. Um, it was quite a lot of work. I mean, you know, it was always very hard work, hard work, hard play. I mean, that's the way it always was. Um, but now I'd rather, I, I, you know, I enjoy spending time at home with the, the family, basically. So this is the next stage where you're trying to get that little bit more out of life. And, and by feeling that you're stuck in one way of life with one type of income and not looking for alternatives you'd be not able to spend that time with your family but maybe this one this has kind of forced you to think about it um but two you're at the age where you feel you really need to do that yeah i think i'm trying to reassess my life to and to move it on into what i think i can do like you say i've got plenty of skills that i'm not necessarily using that i if i can just steer them correctly hopefully they might be able to actually earn me an income um and 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 move me forward you know so it's 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 that sort of thing i mean i've 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 got a vast uh, experience and knowledge of things that people may not be interested in but it's just finding the people that are interested in them to to put them to use i suppose absolutely i mean you know i needed some music for my podcast and exactly. i exactly. i asked about and i just met you and i <laughs> and it was really funny because when i first met you both um you and your wife i was a bit like i don't know why or how but i just know there's going to be something very interesting that comes up between us like i know that they're going to be very useful for something in my life and yeah, i could like because yeah, you're yeah. so creative both of you and i thought i know i'm going down this kind of journey of learning and creativity and i was like bringing people into that journey that are of a similar mindset or you know share a lot of the same values it's incredible you it's like you don't know what you're going to get from somebody you know or to be able to give to somebody but you you make these friendships and you think, gosh, you know, that community is so powerful and it's amazing. You wouldn't you wouldn't be able to achieve anywhere near as much of the same stuff unless you welcome those sorts of people into your life. People who take you in a direction that you want to go in. Absolutely. When you find like minded people, it's very reassuring. Actually, it's very reassuring. So I do get slightly disillusioned about some of the, you know, the, the throwaway sort of like consumerism that I see everywhere. I, you know, I find it quite disheartening. I don't know. I, I, I really hope for some sort of subculture of, you know, renovation and recycling and upcycling that, that something's going to take over and the world's going to become a better place. Because I, I believe that's the way to go. I do believe that's the way to go. Yeah, but the, the secret of, of eternal youth is somewhere in being recycled. No, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that. Um, that's, yeah. good. that's a good way of looking at it. I think, you know, I think yeah. at the end of the day, you know, we are in such a consumer society right now, it, it, such a consumer society. And everybody thinks they've got to have the newest this and newest that. And, you know, we just go and buy it. We don't necessarily value it. Or, or we might work really, really hard for something and then spend all that all that time we've put into our work. We spend that all on something. Doesn't matter what it is, whether it's renovating your house, a piece of artwork, a, a new car, whatever. 
And yet so many of us don't even consider that we could go and do something ourselves and actually get something really something so beneficial, something so purposeful about doing it. And it's not that you have to be super creative as such. You know, you can you can just put a bit of hard work in or whatever. But when when you have that ability to go and reuse something or recycle something or you know upcycle something whichever whichever kind of direction you go in you've got the ability to yes save the environment in one particular way um you can save a lot of money you can fill up your time with positive stuff and you know you can do it in a community and share that time with someone um and you can also spend that time you know not on negative things so you're not on social media you're not watching tv you know yes you can use things like youtube to teach you how to do something but you focus your time doing something that interests you um, or you didn't might not have even known it interested you in the first place, but you can get so much out of it. And it gives you this sort of purpose that you understand why you're doing it. And that in itself can bring a lot of joy and, uh, you know, positive mental health, I guess. Yeah, I think that's exactly it. I think the the creation or the seeing how things form, uh, I, you know, my my daughter, who's 10, is very into sewing and she's making homemade hobby horses she had she, you know, she had a hobby horse a few years ago and she loved it she, she loves ponies so and then she she found on youtube you know how to make your own hobby horse and so since then she's been perfecting different materials and different you know designs and different manes and all these things and she's made a, a, like a stable full of these you know beautiful handcrafted and again, because they're they're handcrafted, they're all slightly different, and she's come out with different facial expressions and different you know different mane colours and different sort of bridles, and she's made all the stuff, and it's just fantastic, and it gives her such joy. But it's that thing, isn't it, where she's she's created this whole environment around looking at YouTube and working out how to oh sewing machine. You know, she's had a sewing machine for a while, but now she's really got, got into using that skill of sewing to do to give her what she wants to surround herself with. And she's 10, right? She's 10, yeah. So she's 10 and she's already made a selection of her own hobby horses. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, with and practice, I'm assuming this could be something she could sell? I think so, yeah. I think she's had inquiries. So, you know, <laughs> maybe maybe I'll be able to retire and just become, you know, a, a sort of sous chef for her hobby horse manufacturing company. <laughs> I love it. I love it. No, but I mean... It's amazing to hear that, you know, that I know that you've done a lot of work on on getting your kids involved in learning things and trying things themselves. But think about it, you know, sh you could have just bought her a hobby horse or maybe two or three. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But well, it, think, it, it know, wouldn't give her what it what it's given her making them. No, exactly, exactly. And it's the fact that they are, they're all slightly different. And she's put, she's tried different materials from fleece to some fairly chintzy things. And she's, you know, worked out which ones work best for um various parts of them yeah and she she gets a, she's getting an immense joy of experimenting and creating that's fantastic yeah. and the other great thing with the kids has been we have an allotment and um i dug some extra beds this year because i had the time to do it and so the kids have a, a you know it's probably uh 12 by 6 foot 2 by 4 meter beds um that they've planted great things you can eat is just a fantastic thing and we go there most days either all of us or one of us or two of us and you know water and do a bit of weeding and then obviously everything's coming to fruition now and there's beans and courgettes and not quite ripe tomatoes but it's great to go there and go well just anything you can find that's you know just you can just eat it straight off the 
off the plant basically and that's that's fantastic you know the the, the starting from a seed to a seedling to a, a plant you know preparing the soil planting it in the soil and then getting food from it and the, you know things taste so amazing when you actually pick them straight off the plant i mean Absolutely. it's just the difference is remarkable and how have they reacted to that well they just eat tons and tons of kale and you know things maybe people might not expect kids to eat courgettes again courgettes people tend to label courgettes as rather bland and you know a bit you know lifeless but if you get them straight from the I think they lose it's something like they lose half their sugar in the first half an hour or something if you if you get them if you start eating them or, you, or cook them quickly you know within the first half an hour or hour they, they you get a completely different sensation the texture is much firmer and better and the, the flavors are much brighter i suppose i'll tell you what i've got my own vegetable patch this year but we'd taken out a, a summer house shed thing in the center of our garden that was left over from the old uh, couple who lived here many years, years ago and uh, it was just a big sort of pit of rubble in the middle of our two lawns and I was like oh it's gonna be a lot of work to prepare that into grass and I thought well why don't I make a beautiful circular vegetable patch and not just a normal veggie patch it had to be like circular or something a bit unique and a bit creative looking I didn't want it to look like it was just utilitarian but uh it was quite exciting this year and I just I just uh harvested my first bean just a single bean and I was so proud of myself within a week you'll have beans coming out of your ears quite literally that's the other thing is is uh you know, I love making chutneys. They always end up with far too many green tomatoes at the end of the seasons. In September or October, I get into, you know, preserving mows. Awesome. So it's chutneys and, and jellies. You know, and also, and, worth worth saying here, because I'm not sure everybody knows about this, but if you have excess food, whether it's like apples off your orchard tree or, what you know, whatever, um, maybe not orchard tree, just, you know, a tree in your garden. <laughs> like we have a tree left over from many years ago in the garden. And... If you've got excess food like that or anything, you can put it on Olio, the food sharing app. Have oh, you ever heard you? of Olio? No. It's awesome. What? It's just literally this app that was designed for food waste. And it was, um, I think it was a lady who was living abroad and she was moving, I think, back to England wanted to get rid of all her food from the cupboards and such like because she wasn't going to be able to take it with her with the movers. But she didn't know how to give it away. And she just thought, this is ridiculous. I have all of this food. Yeah. And she couldn't get rid of it because she had no way of reaching out to her community in a way that she could say, hey, just take this free food. It's a bit weird to go and knock on people's doorsteps and be like, do you want some yeah, food? Yeah. This Olio app, so they've designed this and it's absolutely massive. There's like, there's over a million people using it already. And we um, ended up giving a load of our apples away last year. And some lady kept taking them um, each time. And like one time she came back and left a cake for us the next time she collected it made from our yeah, apples and then yeah, the next yeah. time she brought like a chutney back that she'd made out of our apples and it was just like you know these are just her thank yous for giving her loads and loads of free apples so she could enjoy her you know creative streak of what she loved doing without having to buy all these apples from a supermarket that wouldn't taste the same anyway well exactly exactly that's it's a great thing it's like free free trade isn't it free trade apples for cake we have in in the village i live in there's an apple press and um we uh last last year we took some apples from our neighbor's orchard with their permission of course um to the apple press and with a couple of buckets of apples got a couple of liters of amazing fresh cloudy apple juice i mean and what a fantastic process absolutely but so many people have trees like this and they don't know how to get rid of the fruit yeah. And they yeah. just let it rot on the ground. Yeah. Oh, well, I'm, you know, I'll be there picking it up for, for apple jelly or chutney or whatever. You and me both. There we go. Skip all over again. Anyway, yeah, I'm going to. It's gonna, the same thing, isn't it? 
I was the same thing. I'm going to call it a day there because I think we have covered some wonderful topics. And um, I think all of that shows a little bit of creativity uh, can go a long way. And, you know, being able to get joy from from doing something you love and doing something that you um, have, have a lot of value in as well. Or that, you know, that, that reaffirm your values, shall we say. Tickling the human spirits. That's what I say. <laughs> That's a much nicer way of putting it. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening today. I've really enjoyed today's conversation, which I'm sure you can tell. As usual, you can contact me on Instagram at incrementaljane or via my website, canidoitmyself.com. If you're looking to get an old musical item refurbished or you like some music for your podcast or company video, you can get in touch with Matt on matt.butcher at me.com or on Facebook and Instagram, he can be found under Dog Hair State. I'll see you again next time.